hello, and hello, and thank you for listening to another episode of Cheap Seat Reviews, the podcast that explores the Hollywood film industry for the greater good. This is episode 12, and today we're talking about The Hunger Games. Uh, the Hunger Games that came out in 2012, the, uh, the, uh, the world epic Hunger Games. I volunteer as tribute. So today, uh, so yeah, so I'm Sean Allred, and joining me tonight is Chad, knife to the face, Evans. <laughs> what? Be a, Why can't you dodge? There's going to be a... a, a, a <laughs> I love it. Cornelius, don't eat the poison berries, Logan. Uh, that's not going to happen. They look delicious. And Yarn Sam, it. bad CGI dog, Vector. Very bad. Yes. Very bad. So let's pull it up a like big... The one from, go ahead. It did look like the one from Ghostbusters, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. I'm Notice like, that... I'm glad I'm, not, I'm glad I'm not the only one that thought that. And I also thought that looked like about the same level of, of uh, goodness, too. <laughs> uh, so let's pull up a nice big brown comfy chair and dive in. So, The Hunger Games. This was filmed, North Carolina Connection, right up the street. Literally, Sam could hit a golf ball from his house and landed on the set if he so was I'm a good getting, golfer. Well, Actually, I live in Shelby, where... You know, where a lot of it was filmed also, too. Yeah. So... This is this, this movie is actually um, near and dear to us all. Yeah. Uh, so literally, literally, literally was near yeah. us. Um, yeah. So the Hunger Games, uh, 2012's The Hunger Games, based on the Susan Collins right uh, book. Yeah. Of the, of the same name. What? I thought it was Suzanne Collins. Suzanne Collins. Suzanne Collins. Thank yes. you. Uh, the Hunger Games of the same name, and it made a lot of money. A lot. Uh, a lot of lot of money. In fact, I want to talk about this real quick. The uh, in some of the trivia I read, which was really cool, there's actually some really good trivia. But this is the first film not released by a, a big six studio, meaning Fox, Disney, Paramount, Warner Brothers, Columbia, or Universal, to gross over a hundred million dollars. Wow. Whoa! I mean, that's pretty impressive. That this little eighty-eight million dollar or eighty million dollar wow. budget film—I say eighty as if it's a, a little money, but. Um, $80 million budget film and they they turned it into this huge profit and it was so successful that the next film they budgeted I think about $160 million and mm -hmm. you can notice that the CGI is significantly better the uh, everything is better in that movie except the location which is Georgia no offense Boo. Georgia, no offense Georgia but doesn't work well it works fine because it, it no it doesn't it needs, a big, it needs a big lake and Lake Norman is kind of busy so well, true, true, true. Yeah, the, the, you mean the location of, of the games itself, right? Right. So, so yeah, so Hunger Games. Um, uh, so we obviously all watched this recently, and this is movie. It's pretty new, 2012. I don't know if this is the newest movie we've done. I can't remember. Uh, so, when was the last time you guys saw it, other than this week for this showing, Chad? Um, and more than just, uh, sorry, again at the beginning of the episode, more than just when was the last time you watched it? Initial impressions? Do you think it still holds up? Okay, go. Um. <laughs> You know, I think it I think it still holds up. Um the last time I saw it may have been maybe about a year ago. Um so forth and you know, I think it you know, I knew what was going to happen at that point and you know, having seen the sequel, you know, I think that I enjoyed a little bit more of the, the subtleness of what they tried to do or what they weren't able to do like taking from the book yeah. and uh, and plug them in there. I I did, however, notice a lot of things that they tried to sneak in and that didn't necessarily weren't 
that were kind of key parts of the book that weren't um, embellished on enough, I thought. Um, I actually watched this movie with my wife, and she was saying that she actually read the book. I did not. I'll go ahead and throw that out there right now. Um, and she was she was pointing out parts that, okay, you see that? That was a big part in the book that's not in the movie. And she was point, she was doing that through through most of the film. So, but I think it holds up. I mean, I, you know, I I enjoyed the uh, the two the two hours that it took to watch it this afternoon. Yeah, it was a fairly long movie too. Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, Corny, yeah. same same thoughts and whatnot. All right. Uh, let's see. The first time I actually saw this in theaters when it came out, um, I was uh, in the process of trying to read books before going to watch movies, and uh, this is a second or third book that I, or second or third series of books that I tried to read before going to see the movie. And, uh, uh, having read the book, I, you know, I thought it might be interesting to see what happens. Cause normally I don't read a book before I see a movie. If the, the movie's based on a book. And, uh, I found that the, at first, my first impression was there's some things in the book that I really wish were in the movie. Uh, but now having watched it for the second time, uh, I realized that it actually probably was a good thing that they left out a bunch of stuff because in the book, in my opinion, there's a lot of not doing anything. And you really <laughs> can't do that. <laughs> you really can't do that in the movie theater. So, uh, but anyway, it's, it still holds up. I actually think it holds up better now having, uh, thought about it in terms of a movie aspect. And Sam. Yeah, I'm, I'm another one. I actually read the book before going to see the movie. So it's one of those where you have that vision in your mind, um, before you go see it. And I really like the book. I, I like the whole series, except maybe that third book, which kind of well, the last falls half off of the a ledge. Book, yeah. yeah. It kind of falls off a ledge to, to me, but uh, in terms of this movie, um, this was actually only the second time I've seen it. Um, first time I saw it, I, was it with you guys in the theater or I, did I end up, it might've been, I had to go see that darn thing by myself. I don't but, remember. Yeah. How's that creepy guy, I guess. in the, the, young adult movies or whatever they call it now. Um, <laughs> the moving but, pictures, is the, moving pictures, as it were the moving pictures, <laughs> as it were, <laughs> but, uh, I think it, it got better. Um, I'm kind of with, with Chad a little bit. I think it was Chad who said it. Um, after seeing catching fire, I really liked what they were attempting to do with this movie. This, this felt like a little bit of an independent film. With, no, 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 this didn't, this was very, very like an independent film. Yeah, and and the limited budget caused them to actually have to do a lot of, of I would think thinking on the fly in terms of any kind of CGI, which the dogs is horrendous, of course. Yeah. But, speaking, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you know, yeah. speaking of low about independent films and low budgetness, and did they not have enough money for a tripod? Well, we'll get into that, but <laughs> yeah, I... we'll, we'll get into specifics of that, but but the the. The feel of the film, the um, I loved some of the, uh, you know, the camera work in terms of, you know, what we were watching, folks, is kids killing kids. And I was a little leery to see it on screen. You know, it happened in your brain when you read the book. But I was wondering how they were going to treat that. And I thought they treated it very well. And we'll talk about that, I'm sure, in a little bit. But the way they treat those types of things, I thought they did uh, in a superb manner um, and uh, really told the story well. Um, in fact, I think I, I, after seeing the second film of this series, the first film really sets the mood 
really sets the tone. You really feel for Katniss and Peeta uh, going into these games, and you feel that dread. Even though they're surrounded by all this opulence, you feel that dread that they are going to their death, they're marching to their death for the sheer enjoyment of these people in the uh, in the capital. And and I I enjoyed the film, and I enjoyed it more the second time I watched it. Wow, good. This is this is all great insight. Uh, I too have read the book before I saw the movie, um, and I and I don't want to get too much into that. I wanted to take yeah. this just as the movie at face value of the movie that we watched. Uh, I don't want to, to compare it to the book too much. We're going to do it. It's, it's human nature, but just as a standalone vehicle, I thought it was damn good when I saw it in a theater. I was super impressed. Yeah, the the shaky cam was a little dizzying, but that's part of the point. Yeah. Uh, the director came out on the on the commentary and said that uh, that w- that was part of the deal was that he wanted it to feel uncomfortable because it is kids killing kids and it's um, he didn't want it to make it uh, he actually used the phrase he didn't want it to have these beautiful big wide shots that was, <coughs> that was steady because he he was afraid that it would feel like it was glorifying the death which is not what it's yeah. supposed to be this movie is not supposed to be about that it's it's about the horrificness of what these kids are having to go into. So some things I want to uh, get into before we dive into some of my notes. And I have a story to tell, and I'm sorry. I know most of you, you all th- the four of you or the three of you know this story. Uh, but the six listeners that we have haven't heard this story. Are we um, really up to six? I thought we were holding steady at four. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, we... Uh, I, I live in North Carolina, working in Charlotte, about four year, three years ago when this movie was being made. Uh, I got a phone call to be a part of this movie. However, uh, as, a, as a crew, as a, a working member of the crew, as the, uh, as the sound mixer, uh, or boom operator, I should say, boom operator. But I didn't know that that was, that this, that was the film that was calling me. So I turned them down mm-hmm. um, because I had a day job at the time working at the local theme park. And then Sam, Sam calls me the next yeah. day and says, hey, by the way, did you hear that they're filming Hunger Games in Hickory? And that's <laughs> where they were filming. And I have been kind of kicking myself ever since because, you know, I, my career path would be probably very different had I actually taken that gig. Um, so that that's kind of my almost brush with fame with this movie. So whenever I watch this movie, there's that kind of pang of guilt that I could have been the boom operator while she's, you know, doing that those lines or doing whatever. So... It is what it is. It's just a uh, one of those one of those few moments in my professional career where I actually kind of have a regret. Just sometimes it's just better just to take a risk. And so, what if I lose a you know a day job? Anyway, um, but going back to what we were talking about in comparison from the first movie to the second, I have two seen the second movie, and I didn't answer my own question. When was the last time no, I saw didn't. this movie? Uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe six months ago. I own it on Blu-ray. I've seen it probably six times. Uh, I, wow. I, I really liked this movie. And and then Catching Fire came out, and I really liked Catching Fire. And when <laughs> you compare the two visually, there's almost no comparison. Catching Fire is a, mm-hmm. is a better-made film. It is prettier. I think, obviously, visually, as in the, the, the visual effects, as well as just the cinematography is better, I think. It's a different style, obviously. There is more steady cam work as opposed to on the shoulder, making you feel like you're in the hurler kind of a thing. Um, I had more emotional 
moments in the second one than I did in the first one. But the first one's pretty gut-wrenching at times, especially yeah. with Rue, because you really like the character. And spoiler alert, Rue, if you haven't seen this movie, uh, what is this movie? Holy cow. Oh, wow, um, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, fortunately, we have Catherine here to tell us what this movie is. Katniss Everdeen voluntarily takes her younger sister's place in the Hunger Games, a televised Yay. fight to the death in which two teenagers from each of the 12 districts of Pan Am are chosen at random to compete. Okay. So, she's Pan obviously Am. from the capital. Not, yeah. Not the airline. Oh, yeah. Not, not, yeah, not, yeah, yeah. Not Pan, not Pan Am, the airline. So Catherine also did. She also uh, did this on her own. So I now have this for all eternity. Happy Hunger Games, cheap seat reviews, and may the odds be ever in your favor. So there you Thanks, go, Catherine. Thanks, Catherine. Yes, awesome. I think uh, Sean has to live in the in the Hunger Games between the four of us. I think it's only right. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Wait. He volunteered. Oh, I do, huh? Well, <laughs> yeah. okay. Um, anyway, so this movie, so, so basically quick, quick synopsis from basically what you got there. The basically is we live in this, what I would refer to as a dystopian future. The government, for whatever reason, has created, uh, these, uh, districts, uh, and the government is Colorado apparently. And, and they, they spread the United States out into these districts and each district only does one thing, which seems kind of short sighted, but whatever. And they they all live under the boot of the government, and and they 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 practice these Hunger Games. Uh, it seems kind of a dumb name, truth be told. It, it should be called something else. Personally, I think it's a dumb name. Um, and, and they have to. They all the twenty four people, two from each district, and they you know submit their their children for this battle. And if you win, then hooray! And if you don't, you die. And that's basically that boils down to that's that's the story and the and the the twist at the end of the story, of course, is that Katniss and Peta, the guy from her district, um, they they play up that they're in love with each other and they both are able to survive and basically thumb their nose at the government. So I've like I said, I've watched this movie six times or so, and and I read the books, and 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 every time I did everything at just face value, I just enjoyed it for what it was. It's a yeah. cool story. And I didn't decide to go any deeper. Well, this time I decided to go deeper. And all I could ask myself is, how in the world did we let it get to this point? <laughs> all right, bear with me here, okay? Let's just think about this historically. Because we're working on the assumption that this world is our world, just in the future. And something happens. The government becomes too powerful. And the citizens revolt. And the government strikes back. And decides that this is how things are going to be from now on. There's a great civil war. They even talk about that. Yeah. So here's my one of my issues. Again, this is logically speaking. Again, this is logic going into a uh, you know a fictional book. But during the real civil war that we had, our real civil war, when we stopped trading with the other countries and fought for the la for for five six years of the civil war. The the world five years the world economy like almost collapsed because we were so important to the world even then in the eighteen sixties that that's why England and France were almost picking sides because they needed the war to be over they needed 
trade. Could you imagine in the future that if the United States just decides to just, we're just going to shut our borders and be this ridiculous totalitarian thing and we're going to kill children? How, where's the rest of the world? That's all I could think of. Why hasn't is, German? Is there a rest of the world? In well, we this, obviously don't in know. In this universe? We obviously don't know. No. So, but, but that's, that's stuff that's happening through my mind. And how in the world did we let it get past, past 70 years, 75 years? And now the riots start when Rue dies. So, again, these are the things that are happening in my head as we're watching the movie. So we, we can get to that part later. Um, but I don't want to deter from the fact that I, I did like this movie. It's still a really good movie. Jennifer Lawrence is really, really good in this. And I even wrote in one of my notes, I wonder if, she, if you could go back in time to 2012, which is only two years ago, when she's filming this movie and go, hey, in a year and a half, you're going to win an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress. <laughs> and then the next year, you're going to be nominated for another Academy Award. You still want to do these movies? You know what I'm saying? So, anyway. Yeah. Mm. So, just just fun stuff. So, the movie, uh, is The Hunger Games, directed by Gary Ross. And Gary Ross has done such fine works as um, director for... He's done Pleasantville, Sea Biscuit, The Hunger Games, and that's it. I love Pleasantville, by the way. Pleasantville is a fun movie, and also, yes. well, whatever. Pleasantville is a good movie, and Sea Biscuit's a good movie. Uh, he was a writer on Big, huh? And he wrote the screenplay to Mr. Baseball, Dave, Lassie, Pleasantville, Sea Biscuit, The Tale of Despero, and The Hunger Games. Hmm. Huh. Oh, fun. So, good job to you with your gray hair um <laughs> but i think he did a fine job i really did again i i, I don't want to deter from this movie i will say this, this is kind of funny uh, i took a lot of notes on this movie a lot of notes but they're all in like the first half of the movie because there's not a lot to talk about when they're in the games no you know it's like no and, and there's a lot before the games i mean yeah. i was surprised this time because i had to pause it to go do something else today i was like my gosh there's still like you know, I've been watching this thing for, for an hour plus, and it doesn't seem like the, that we were into the games yet. Right. So so notes, I'm just going to scroll through some of these real quick because I have a feeling that this cast is going to get long, which is fine. Um, so that was my first my first note was how in the world did we get to this point? <laughs> and I just – that's still – and I just and, – and President Snow even answers the own question that people ask is why don't we just round up 24 kids and kill them because we want to yeah. give them hope. But we don't want to give them too much hope because then too much hope becomes dangerous. We only want and to give them a little hope. My only explanation and what I got out of that, Sean, is that there were 13 districts before this even happened or 14 mm -hmm. districts, whatever. Yeah, 13. Yeah. So somehow even before that, something had happened to split this whole area into right. those districts. It just so happened that the capital was the wealthiest and the one with the power and – had the ability to control and beat down the other districts. Yeah, and there's there's even uh, some fanfic online because we think that the capital is Colorado. Mm -hmm. That actually even suggests that the reason why the capital is is the capital is because that's where NORAD is, and that's the missile control launch station for the United States, and they had the access to the nukes. Yeah, and so and there's a huge base there at NORAD. There's a huge uh, military base there, so they just happen to have the machinery and the weaponry. 
Um, I, I do think it's kind of strange that each district is supposed to represent a large land mass, yet we only see a small town with a small handful of people. Yeah. You know, District 12 basically is southern, northern Georgia, South Carolina, eastern Tennessee, North Carolina, Virginia, West Virginia. Well, and I kind of took – even though they filmed it around here, I thought it was more a West Virginia area only yeah. because of the coal mining. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what I always took it there, as. There's actually is a leg- – I mean this is – now, of course, this is me cheating because I've looked um, in the literature. There legit is a map that she created. And that's part of that is part of District Twelve. So that's me cheating um, <laughs> from the movie, breaking my own rules of taking this as a standalone. Ooh, negative movie. one point, Opie. Fine, um, <laughs> but I'm the I'm the just like the Capitol. I create the game so I can make up my own rules. Odds are not in your favor, apparently. Well, they don't need to be. No, that's night, yeah. Uh, I'm the guy with the crazy uh, facial hair. I can change the rules as I want to. Ah, eh, good, bad. You're the guy with the gun. <laughs> wow. I would never have thought an army of darkness quote would have gotten into this movie, but, but bless you, Chad. Um, come get some, by the way, can we talk about, I love the fact that they, they filmed in North America, at least Yeah, this film, you can, you can so tell that this was filmed in the Blue Ridge mountains. Oh, that was my, I mean, I love that. I love the, the, the homey feel to that. And it's not just because it was right feel. Well, it was right down the road for me where they did district 12. Um, by the way, anybody catch our 12th episode? Talk about District 12. Oh, how funny is that? Yeah, hey, look at that coincidence. Uh, my fourth note literally is, damn, our mountains are pretty. Yes. I mean, I, and here's the thing, and, and to make your, to, to even emphasize your point more, Sam, that I'm glad that they filmed it here in North Carolina. Cold Mountain, that. Oh, uh, yes. That love story gonna, I, film. That is, as a note, too. Yeah. Cold Mountain is based on a, a, a Civil War event that happened in North Carolina. North Carolina. So, where yeah. do they film it? Romania. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was cheap. It has. It has I actually, low uh, true story, I actually grew up in the shadow of Cold Mountain. Right. Oh, yeah. Like the right. actual Cold Mountain. I grew up in the shadow of it. So. I walk out of the, walked out of my house every day, and there's Cold Mountain. Yep, that's why Chad is so true pale, story because he's always in the shadow. <laughs> always, always. Um, so some quick show notes I have: uh, shaky camera, like crazy. Again, the the point of the shaky oh, camera man. was that to give us that unsettling feeling. But damn, I mean, it was it was queasy at moments. It was it's everywhere, pretty... even in even in moments that weren't really supposed to be shaky cam. Right. It was like when she's sitting around the home and. They're kind of giving the shots of the house and the inside mm-hmm. of the house, and and it's it's like giving the the camera to my three year old and <laughs> yeah. telling her to go through the house. And I, I, it was it didn't have to be like that, but no, anyway. you, you're you're absolutely right. They didn't they didn't need to do that. And um, there's another movie that I did that a lot on was called um, you're gonna laugh at me for this one. It was Battle L A. Battle Los Angeles, where the aliens <laughs> yeah. come and invade. They do the same thing. The entire movie is on the shoulder, and there's scenes where like Aaron Eckhart and the, his commander are talking, and every time one of them moves their hand, the camera has to follow down. It's supposed to represent the uneasiness in the room, and that your eyes would do that. Your eyes would naturally follow movement in the room. But oh my gosh, yeah. I needed to take Dramamine just to watch the damn movie. <laughs> so I kind of felt that way with this. And did this start? Did, did Saving Private Ryan start this whole shaky cam idea? Um, you know, I was trying to think of that. I was trying to think of the earliest film I could think of that used shaky cam as 
an unsettling technique. What about the Blair Witch Project? Yeah, but Saving Private Ryan was before Blair Witch. Blair Witch that's was right, like that's right. Blair Witch was like ninety nine. Private Ryan was like ninety six. Yeah, um, that's something to maybe think that's, about. That, that's a good point. I'm out. I'm trying to to think back of some other great films from earlier, and I can't really think of any really super shaky for long, extensive periods. Of yeah, time. yeah, um, and even Saving Private Ryan, when you're off the beach, it's not as bad. Yeah, when, when you're out of the battle, it's a clear cut. Yeah, like you when know. they're walking through the fields, you can tell yeah. it's a steady cam just walking with them. It's just a nice yeah. smooth shot. But when they're in battle and they're running, the camera guy's running too. Yeah. I mean, when did the te- when did the technology come about where you could have a camera like that that was light enough where you could carry it? Uh, that's seventies. Mm, okay, uh, yeah, but that's, even that's, before that, that's, that's, that's was... not a. This, this isn't super new. Now what? What like Saving Private Ryan as an example? What they did was that he literally, he literally sped the film or slowed the film down. That's why everything looks grainy and you see every bit of sand come at you. That's mm-hmm. just a different. Yeah. But that that's not new technology. I mean, like during Star Wars, they had that technology. Um, but but to your point though, Chad is the cameras were freaking heavy back then because most of them were made of cast iron bodies. Right, and that's, um, I think that's where I was going for. Yeah, so they probably had that technology in the late 70s. Um, this is where my lack of film history, because I wasn't a film major. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, I'm, someone probably is screaming at their iPhone right now because they know. I don't. <laughs> Maybe in the 80s at least, because um, I'm trying to think of some of some movies in the, even in the 80s. I mean, Die Hard did a lot of over-the-shoulder over the stuff. Lethal Weapon did some on-the-shoulder stuff. Well, um, here we go. Uh, thanks to Wikipedia. Um, but, uh, other examples of 1960s handheld usage: uh, Seven Days in May, Battle of Algiers, Doctor Strangelove. But I don't remember shaky cam. I don't remember. That. Yeah, um, but and that... here we go. The shaky cam style was named and given new energy in 1981 in the film The Evil Dead. Oh, of course. Director oh, well, Sam, Sam Raimi. Raimi and, One uh, of my yeah. favorite bit. My favorite. So, movies. I would. Probably give that a yeah a, a an origin story right there. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, and that and that probably came out of more necessity for the fact that yeah. that movie was shot on sixteen thousand dollar budget. Yeah. So I mean, they might legitimately not have been able to afford a tripod or more than one. So <laughs> uh, anyway, so, um, interesting. What are we talking about? Oh, okay, yeah. games. So. Um, <laughs> Uh, Good thing that sound wasn't in uh, the woods with the uh, Mockingjays. <laughs> right. So, Are those owls? What's going on? Right. <laughs> um, nice. Thanks, Courtney. Uh, so so continuing on with my notes. Again, the shaky cam was a thing, and it, it kind of sucks. And I kind of wish it would go away for a little while. I'm a little yeah. – you know, like I'm, li- I'm glad Avatar didn't go shaky cam because I think I would have punched James Cameron in the face. You know? Yeah, I mean, anyway. Uh, what? I think I might anyway. Well, yeah, fair enough. For blue people having sex, it's just weird. Uh, cats are evil. Now, I know why they did the scene in the movie, because it's in the book. But if I hadn't known that, I would just literally have thought, damn, that's an evil cat. <laughs> so, whatever. Uh, damn, our mountains are pretty. Uh, it would, uh, why? Oh, this kills me in movies. And I think I might have mentioned it before. And this is a movie trope, so we're already getting into the tropes. I wish I still had a thing for tropes, but I don't. Anyway. Um, he had a thing for tropes once. 
Anyway, um, <laughs> I, w- I don't know what that means. It didn't work out. You guys went separate ways. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Then, it, then it died, and then I married yep. its brother. She, she just wants to be friends. So, in movies, all microphones cause feedback. I know I've talked about this. It yeah. drives me crazy. So Effie <laughs> walks up, Elizabeth Banks' character, which, by the way, I didn't know it was possible to make Elizabeth Banks look not hot. Yes. Yeah, that she, was pretty... I mean, the makeup is incredible, but she looks... I don't... <laughs> I mean, she's like the least hot person in this movie full of people who look like they're starving to death. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know how to take that statement. I don't either. I mean, like, I couldn't be more not attracted to Elizabeth Banks than I was in this movie, especially because she was so naive. And, I mean, she's supposed to represent everything that the capital is. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, these kids are on their way to possibly die. And she says something to the effect of, "Well, they don't get the careers don't get special treatment. I mean, you're in the you're you have the same train that they do, and I don't think they get dessert, and you do. Yeah, like that matters, you know. Well, to a fat kid, then yeah. Well, but but to her it matters because that's just the way that the capital is, and that's another thing I uh, I want to touch on. We, we, we want to go there about the capital and that." Gladiator well, we, mentality. Do we want to t- talk about that for a second? Well, oh, can we talk? Well, oh, okay. I was going to want. I wanted to talk about District Twelve a little bit because we spent a lot of time in District Twelve. Mm-hmm. We got to know a lot of the different people in there. Um, one of the things that I thought wasn't really done well was um, the establishment of PETA. Yeah. Um, yeah. Really, the first time you see him, wasn't it at the, the reaping when, when they're picking yeah, the? That's actually the first hitters. time you see him. Yeah. And. Um, I don't know. I just I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of his character of of before the games, but I don't know. What, what do you guys think? I mean, of course, his character develops a little bit more later on because it has to um, in in relation to Katniss. And I understand this is Katniss's movie, right? You know, this is all from her POV. So I don't know. Um, I think this even kind of just falls... go ahead. Oh, no, I, say, I think it kind of falls under that whole idea of if you do this, he's a baker's son, and, you know, that's pretty much all he does. He really doesn't have much going on. Like, he's not sneaking out and hunting animals or uh, he's not doing anything interesting. I think that kind of takes that. I see what you're saying. His backstory is boring. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. 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 And that's and that's fine because we can't establish that he likes Katniss because then the reveal later on isn't as impactful if we know that. Yeah. True. So I'm I'm okay with when she calls out his name, even the audience is going, Who? They're they're saying What are they what are they saying, John? Yeah, that's what they're saying. So <laughs> um I'm okay I'm totally okay with it. I did think yeah. it was kind of funny. My wife and I even noticed this that there seemed like there was a lot of kids, but those bowls of names seemed kind of small. It seemed like there was only about fifty names in there, and there should have been hundreds and not. Yeah, not don't thousands. forget. How, didn't she ask uh, Gail how many times his name was in there, and he said what forty-two or something like that? Yeah. yeah. So, so. It, it looked like the only options were Gail or Peta in that bowl. <laughs> yeah. So it seemed kind of dumb to me. Yeah, and then and then of course the the transition between the capital. And District 12. I I loved what they did. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, the first time they step foot on that train and she sees the food, the, the marble countertops. Yeah, um, the, the mahogany table that she stabs with a butter knife. 
Yes. That, I mean, young uh, lady, that is mahogany. <laughs> I mean, literally, she goes from like 19, 1930s Great Depression mm-hmm. to yep. all of this extravagance. And, and, to, and, to, to 2004 or to, to, to 1999 New York City, because that was yeah. kind of the height of our when we were yeah. you know, doing real well. You're right. Exactly. It's crazy. Um, and that was another point. I'm going to go there for just a second. Wouldn't it be in the capital's best interest to not have all of the districts in complete and utter ruin? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you would. You would think that they would, you know, put yes. forth some type of humanitarian aid. Again, again, Sam. Hold on, before you make your counter argument, which I'm sure is going to be brilliant. Um, <laughs> that's not. It. That's not me being sarcastic. Uh, I can I'm, only. I can. I know Chad is always sarcastic. Uh, I can only harken back to our Civil War because, one, I, I like history, and that's a fascinating bit of history. And I know it's kind of callous of me to call the thing that created more American deaths than any other thing in, in the history of the world. But in the in, when the U.S. won, the United States won, the North won, it won. Instead of what some people wanted to do was put these harsh sanctions and really beat down the South so that they could never rise again. Before Lincoln died, he made sure that his people knew that, no, we need to pump money back into the South. We need to build them back up and make them part of our country. And it worked, clearly. See what I'm, see now what my, my point is? Is that why aren't the rest of the districts like that? The, the capital wins the war. Okay, we won the war. We, we beat you. Now we're going <laughs> to dump money into you and build you up so that you're not all starving to death because if you're – if you're starving to death, then you can't mine coal. Maybe this is like the uh, like the what happens if Lincoln didn't say that. And like we are going to beat down the South, you know, Certainly, we are going to yeah, beat it's, you it's, down. It's it's essentially well, not really essentially, but it's like what happened to Germany. If we're going to be history, exactly, you know, let's blame you know World War One. Let's blame Germany, even though Germany didn't really have that much. Didn't start the war. We're going to blame them for everything. Well, and yeah, then, and, and look at the difference between East Germany and West Germany. Right. You know, we pumped money in like crazy to West Germany, and East Germany basically got neglected, and look what happened. Exactly. So we're all on the same page. Basically, the capital, what they get in the end, is on their own. This is their own heads. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. And I wasn't going to argue for this. Right. But there is a certain trade, certain economic thought of – um, you know, pulling all resources to your own, um, closing the fences, closing, you know, anything out there and basically taking everything, leaving nothing. Well, and, um, sometimes, well, like we see in most of things, it just doesn't work, but there's a lot of people that still believe in that economic thought. And it, it just, it's, it's got, well, in any case that has ever been, been researched, the capital, the country, the people that do something like this, they are very wealthy and they're very happy for a very short period of time. It, it doesn't work for a long period of time. Right. But because um, eventually the exact same thing happens. When people get hungry, they look for food. And, you know, would you rather starve to death or fight for food? And, and most people would fight for food. Yeah, I- as I'm th- thinking back into my own historical, uh, my own history classes, this is actually very reminiscent of the Roman Empire. 
yeah. where, where you've got Rome as the capital and they're the shining star and they conquer. But again, in Rome though, not only did they conquer, they still built up the territory though. So it's kind of different, but it's still that opulence that Rome was. And then the rest of the, the dregs of the rest of the world had to suffer. But then again, I mean, Romans did build the roads in England and stuff like that. So we can't completely blame, you know what I'm saying? No, but at, at a certain point, because Rome was so opulent is one of the reasons why they got destroyed. Correct. It's, is because they were taking more than they were giving. Right, but their downfall was not because of a, a people that they hurt or invaded. They got invaded by another people entirely uh, who just looked at the Romans as a threat. Yeah, well, so, they were weak at that time. They were. So, uh, yeah. Um, so, anyway. Yeah. Uh, anyway, district. we're in the district. We're in the I'm, here, I'm sitting here taking notes. I'm like, do I have a test tomorrow? What's I know, and I'm sorry. And I, and I knew this was going to happen. And I knew that we, but I wanted to talk about this stuff just because, yeah. one, it's a good movie, but it gives us these really kind of interesting things to talk about. Like a bunch that's of another reason why I love these types of movies is because it makes you think. Yeah, you know, oh, a, yeah. A dystopian future movies, I just love it. I love thinking about, well, what if you did this? What if they did that? It's, right, and, well, and, and, and Sam, you and I had this conversation before the cast tonight about these types of movies, and one of the things that makes me so interested in this movie is because you want to put yourself into the, into the shoes of someone there and go, what would I do? Would I just be guy what just goes into the mind and just tries to make do, or am I going to be like, uh, Liam Hemsworth and say, you know what? Maybe we can make a difference. Maybe we could do something. Maybe we could fight back. Maybe we could, you know, what were you going to say, Chad? Well, I, I wanted to say, um, I went to a training today and so I heard one of these Ted talk things. Are y'all familiar with the Ted oh, talk? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Little, yeah. little four or five minute. Uh, uh, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Ted. Sorry. <laughs> one yeah. of these days I'll get tired of that button, but not yet. That's Okay. And one of the things they were talking about is what makes a hero, and that in this, um, in this, uh, there's actually like an archetype that goes into all of these, all of these films and stories about about a hero. So if you'll if you'll indulge me for just a moment, um, I'll try to make this quick. But if you'll imagine like a clock, and you start at twelve o'clock, there's a status quo. Your hero, you know, there's comes from you know, what's normal or what's considered to be normal. But, and then one o'clock come one o'clock is there's a call for this hero to go on some type of adventure. And I think the reason that this caught me is that Katniss actually does the very same things. And then two o'clock comes around. She has to have some type of assistance where, um, when you can can pretty much fill in the blanks here too. Yeah. Senna. Yeah. Yeah. Senna. Um, Hamish. Um, at three o'clock, there's some departure where you're going. You're departing the ordinary world and going to the special world. And then four o'clock, you know, Katniss has to go through all these different trials, and uh, and then uh, she fights her way going through this approach at five o'clock, and then going up to the um, leading up to this first um, fight with the main bad the main bad people. And the hero is then defeated or semi-defeated or in some cases killed. And this is like the, the six o'clock era um, where it's so uh, the, the hero's worst point. And then um, you have kind of a revival, so to speak, 
uh, where the hero learns something, how to defeat the bad guy, finally defeats the bad person, and then there's a result. Either everything becomes okay or people try to revolt or try to fight back. Other monsters try to fight back against the bad person. Um, but the hero is able to escape and returns back to the ordinary world um, and is somehow enriched by the experience. And then there's a resolution of how everybody else, everything's wrapped up nicely, and then a return to the status quo. And I just thought it was really, really interesting about how they how they did it. And um, by all means, uh, please go check that out on YouTube. Uh, it's uh, What Makes a Hero, I think is the title of it. Well, how super convenient that you watch that today on the eve of, I know, of, right? of this podcast. <laughs> this, that would have been super non-beneficial had we done um, dumb, and, dumb and Dumber, <laughs> Billy. I know. It's like, I didn't really care. But, I mean, and you take you, – the one of the examples was Katniss Everdeen. But you can take – you can swamp in, you know, Harry Potter, and he fits that same architect, uh, uh, archetype. Uh, Frodo from Lord of the Rings, um, any type of, of he- major hero character goes through this same cycle. And I just found that really, I just found it fascinating. And this was at a technology conference. Go figure. Right. All right. Well, that's great. Um, so, so back to the notes, which is fine. I like these tangents. These are great. Back to the notes. Um, I still get emotional when the district does the salute. So she takes the place of her sister. Katniss takes the place of her sister, Prim. Her Prim is only, what, 13? And it, 11, her, I think, actually. 11. And her name is only in the in the pot once. And, of course, that's the name they pick. And she volunteers for her sister. Never happened in the district before. Then they pick the other guy, Peta, and he goes up there. And Elizabeth thinks, says, you know, give a hand to our, our tributes. And... The, the the people do the the three finger looks like the Boy Scout salute kind of thing and they kiss their you know they stick it up in the air and I get emotional during that moment because they're they know what these kids are about to go through they're about to go through the worst things in their lives and then probably die a horrible yeah. horrible death and they're saying you know what not only are we not going to applaud what's happening but we're going to show you love and support by basically doing this thing in defiance. And I, I still get emotional over that, especially in the second one. I really get emotional in the second one when Katniss is talking to Rue's parents. Anyway, um, okay. Uh, the Katniss, clearly Katniss is the boss of the family. Katniss's yes. mom obviously had issues when their dad died. Katniss, Which I don't think they explored very well in the movie. Yeah, well, you, I, you knew that he died in, the, in a, an explosion. Oh, in yeah, mind. you certainly did, but you don't understand how much... Her mother was like, well, her mother shut down. Oh no, you're right. Yeah, yeah we have no idea about that. We only know you from know, that it, line. You can't do that. You can't shut away, shut down like you did when Dad died. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and speaking of the mom, she's our Star Trek connection. Anyway, oh jeez, I'm going to do it every episode unless there isn't one. So deal with it. <laughs> um. So, uh, so yeah, she's clearly in, in charge. She's obviously the strongest. Now, Prim takes on a bigger role in the second movie, which is really cool. But again, I don't want to talk about that. Um, not yet. Uh, I get the, okay. So uh, th- this is going to take us back into another fun tangent. And <laughs> this is what I literally wrote. I get that the capital people are naive about everything, yeah. but how is it that everyone there is totally okay with thousands of people dying of starvation? 
I get the gladiatorial nature of the games and, and how people like it. That's what I wrote. Meaning, people are, are these people that live in the capital are the worst dregs of society. <laughs> they are. They're horrible human beings. And you have these outliers like Senna and even Effie, who's oblivious. But even in the second movie, she kind of turns her, kind of comes around and actually shows remorse over what's happening. Again, that's the second movie. But well, could we say that maybe the uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go off. Uh, um, maybe the evil media has been floating <laughs> lies that's, about what's that, really going on outside. And that is a good point that I didn't think about. So, point to Chad. Because literally thousands of people are dying out in the districts from starvation, mainly 12, 11, 10. We don't know about the early, like one, two, and three are probably yeah. close enough to the capital that, you know, those, those, those careers, they look like they were well-fed. So, yep. And they are in the book, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Which is part that's of what they call careers. Right. That's part yeah. of the point. So they, they, um, Ooh, that was a fun noise. So they, um, so yeah, so that, that's a good point, Chad. And I had not thought about that. Maybe the media, right? Because it's controlled by the government. And I don't think these people in district and in, in, in the capital, sorry, get out very much. Well, clearly, no, they don't yeah. leave the capital ever. Why would you? Right? Yeah, oh, yeah. I wouldn't need they to. might not be able to. Truth be told, yeah. Now to think about it, Corny, I think you might be the only one that relates. I don't know, Chad. Did you ever watch Avatar: The Last Airbender? No. Corny, yeah, you did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, not the terrible movie, but the cartoon. There's a city <laughs> called Ba Sing Se, and it's literally this giant city of walls. And, the, and there's a whole season where they're stuck in this city, and everyone that lives in the city is content with just being in the city. Uh, it kind of reminds me of this a little bit. They're all very naive about the outside world. I don't want to get too far down that tangent. Uh, it's a good cartoon. Go watch it. But uh, <laughs> legit, it's a good cartoon. Go watch it. Uh, but, yeah, these people there – are so naive about what's happening in the rest of the world. And maybe they're okay with ignorance is bliss. You know, I mean, if, I mean, I would probably even have to say that probably most of us dumb Americans, we don't have a clue what's happening in the rest of the world. I probably have, I have no clue what the, what the, what's happening in the Philippines right now. That flight 370. Or not, not even that. I just meant legit, just like the Philippines, the, the, that flight that's missing is, is just horrific and, um, on its own. And it's, it's really kind of confusing how you lose an airplane. Um, and I'm not making trivial or light of this situation. It's just, it does make sense in my mind how these things all have multiple tracking devices and how we can lose it. But that's not what this podcast is about. Aliens. Um, maybe. I mean, <laughs> who knows? Um, Woody Harrelson plays a good asshole. Right. Yeah. Right? He was perfect for that role. Which is Absolutely f- perfect. Uh, Sam and I both read the book. Corny, did you read the book? You yeah, said it, but I, I can't did. remember. Did either yes. one of you pick when you saw uh, Woody Harrelson on screen? You all three of you, all three of us, I think went, "Hmm, that's not who I pictured." I, I, I did that. I was like, you know, I imagined. I don't know what I imagined, but I imagined an old guy with gray hair who looked like a bum. I imagined big fat dude because he's kind of described yeah. as big fat dude. That's true. That's true. <laughs> big fat drunk dude. Yeah, I kind of imagined the the uncle in Harry Potter. You know what I'm saying? Uh, maybe not that. Maybe not that, that extreme, but yeah. something in between that dude and Woody Harrelson. But Woody Harrelson is so good at the role that yes. I totally buy it now. Yeah. So I'm I'm very okay with it. Um, 
I actually could have dealt with a drunker Woody uh, Harrelson in this role. And I think maybe the reason why they made it, they cast him, and he's not super fat, is because it would probably be unbelievable to go, wait a minute, how did that fat tub of goo win the Hunger Games? Even though it was clearly 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, and I kind of wish they would have actually told us how he won in the in the movie. I know they do in the book, but it would have been pretty cool to, for them to teach me how they do it, how he did it in the movie. Yeah. Didn't they tell you in the second movie? No. 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 Um, again, I only know because I read the book. But if you've not read the book, then you don't know. Uh, so I'm not going to tell you. Um, <laughs> the director, knows. The director yes. took a chance on Lenny Kravitz. Good job. I don't think so. I disagree with that. You don't like him as that? In that I role? don't like him as Cinna. No. I. I All right. You're, I, you're, uh, you're a guy what, what wrote the thing. Who do you cast? You're the casting director. Oh, me, yeah. me. Okay. Um, you no, know, you I don't... can't do it. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Sam would be a terrible Senna. I think the look of Kravitz is good. I just don't like his acting. Um, I didn't buy it, basically. But I don't know who I would have put in there. Um, I read the book. I when I was envisioning it, you know. Uh, Maybe the guy from Serenity, the bad guy. What's his name? He just won an Oscar, didn't he? Oh, Itchfell. I can't pronounce his name. Kazim. Oh, no. uh, yeah. Uh, fell, yeah, the guy from Serenity. Yeah. Um, but but I it's... Think, I, don't know, I just think they're... I can't see him in makeup. Yeah, well, yeah. maybe that's why. You know, this the the Cine guy was supposed to be fairly low-key compared to everybody mm-hmm. else in the... In the capital. Now, you're going to laugh at me out loud, maybe, for this, but especially corny. Um, but who I pictured in my mind was a low-key Chris Tucker. Yeah. <laughs> there it is. Okay. <laughs> Took a moment. Yeah, I, you Sorry, know, I, I, you start to envision Chris Tucker in makeup. You, if you've and seen, then I had to get him not to do, come on, Candace. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> If if you've Get seen, I know you haven't seen Sam. I know you don't like the Fifth Element, but he yeah. wears he wears a lot of he wears dresses in that movie. He wears a lot of makeup, so that's yeah. who I pictured was this was Chris Tucker, but Chris Tucker as this calming force, uh, and that's why I liked Lenny Kravitz because the whole time he's just this calm, collected. I know more than I'm telling, and. And everything is gonna be okay. And I thought he did fine. He doesn't. He doesn't have to. He doesn't have to act a lot. He doesn't need a big range. No. He, it, it, I mean, it's not. Uh, please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's bad acting. It's yeah. just. It's obviously not Oscar material. Well, which. But that role know, is not is not wrote, written for can't. Oscar. Yeah. No, but it's it's it. I don't know. Dude, like I legit, just, I think you and I could have, or or Chad or Corny could have done that role. Not to disservice Chad. Chad looks really know, good makeup. Possibly even you know one of the Rastafarian people. Then we could have a uh, cinnamon. Oh my god! <laughs> yes, yes. Chad gets the second point. Chad is in the lead with two points. Cinnamon. <laughs> how long were you sitting on? Yeah, that? how long did you work on that? Were, were you working on that while we were having this discussion about? I Chris really Tucker? was. That's good. Man, it's like I'm. I have nothing to add to this conversation. What yeah. can I? What can I? Cinnamon. Should have just dropped a mic and walked off. Oh, Come out. <laughs> Boom. Well, Chad's hey, out. No, I mean these. This mic's expensive. Yeah, that's true. Don't do that. Good. Well, I have a, uh, Cinnamon. Oh man, perfect. Yeah, I have another side tangent. But yeah. uh, do you initially remember when this movie came out? The big stink 
on the uh, quote unquote casting of Rue and Thresh? No. No. Uh, yes. There was yes. there was a big stink because a lot of people were like, why are Rue and Thresh black? This is obviously oh. the person didn't read the book and yada yada yada. Yeah. Well, if you actually read the book, it says they're both dark skinned people. Yeah. Uh, and I thought yeah. it was really odd, odd that uh or they they well, they it, had dark skin and brown hair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which because because she has brown well no. Yeah, because she actually Rue reminds her of her sister Prim, but because but she has brown hair like but unlike Primrose who has blonde hair. Um Yeah. But the other thing that pissed people off, a lot of people off, is that when they show the district, everyone's black. It's like yeah. the black district. And I think that's what pissed off a lot of people, too, is that the only two black people are from the same district. I think that's what I think it was what you're talking about, Corny. But I think it was um, it was more than just the fact that they're black. I think it was. But I do remember that. Yeah, it's like District yeah, 11 is a black people, district. Right. You know, that and people tweeting. Or I just remember tweets about how awful it was that those two were, you know, because they weren't. The description given in the book did not uh, fit the two people that, that cashed. And I kind of understand what they're going with that. Because Katniss herself is actually also. <laughs> what did I just say? No, it's the dog in the background. Oh, the Chad? Or... No, not me. It's, it's my Molly. Oh, nice. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Just it's, it's, it's raining change is what it sounds like. It's like, you know, you're at a. a Making casino. a hill here. Yeah. We're getting paid. Um. Anywho, but yeah. um, okay. yeah. But anyway, I just remember that being a, a stink, and uh, but anyway, but right. So uh, continuing on, uh, wow, that green screen sucks. As they're coming in on the horses, um, mm-hmm. and those were <laughs> those were well trained horses because no one was driving them. Uh, they just knew when to stop and start and when to go and where to go. That was pretty clever. Um, well, you know, when you know, 150, 200 years from now, maybe, maybe they're robot horses. Yeah, know. robot horses. Even though she. Pets them like they're real. Uh, I'm going to cru- cruise through some more of my notes real quick because uh, I want to get to some tropes. There's not a lot. I didn't think I didn't see a lot, but I want to get to some. Uh, Thank you for consideration is one of the best lines in the movie, and I wish I would have capped it because I would love <laughs> to have that forever. Because then one of you guys can say some smart ass thing, and I would just click thank you for your consideration. Uh, Pina is very charming and clever. Um, that's one thing I really like about my characters in movies, especially your heroes, is when they're clever. Uh, he's and, not the strongest. What was he, Chad? Uh, Peta makes bread. Bread. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you lose half a point for that. Um, he. And if anybody has ever seen the Sesame Street spoof on the Hungry Games, um, they actually have a. They have a Pete. Uh, Peter Bread is one of the characters that runs around. With yes, cookie monster. nice. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> what was I gonna say? Um, um, we were, oh, it almost doesn't matter. You know, I, I do yeah. like I like your, I like my heroes as being clever and witty and um, not so darn stiff. Right, you know, like yeah. That's why everyone likes Han Solo. It's because yeah. he's a scoundrel, but he's clever, and he's witty, and he's charming. And, he's, and he shot first. And he shot first. Um, and which, John McClane. You know, he's not just a right. straight-up guy. You know, yeah. he's funny and clever and figures things out. He, yeah, again, that, yeah. Malcolm Reynolds from Serenity, one of the best kind of uh, examples of that. He's yeah. clearly not the best at everything. 
he's good at a lot of things, but he's that charming, very witty, very clever, you know. Uh, oh, well, we'll just use the, the, the thing to track you. Oh, well, we found the thing, but there's seven. You know, it's just very yeah. clever like that. So I like that. You know, he was playing to the audience, and, and he knew that this was a television show. And that's how you're going to survive is by getting sponsorships and being yeah. – he played the naive boy well, and he does it again yeah, in the being second Being endearing. Book. Yeah, he, he made people fall in love with him. Um, so that was great, and – and I, I like that. That's a big issue I have with Game of Thrones, and Sam and I have had this talk multiple times. One of the characters, Sansa Stark, is the most useless character I've ever seen <laughs> on TV because she offers nothing. Nothing. Because yeah. she's not clever. She's not brave. She's not smart. She's just a pretty face, and she's useless. But the youngest sister is not pretty. Well, she, you know what I'm saying. She's not meant to be pretty. And she's, but she's clever, and she's small and daring. And you like that about her. And she gets more and more so as the book and series goes along and someone would continue with it. Um, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> opening seconds of Send the... your, your hate mail to cheapseatreviews at gmail.com because somebody will not continue watching Game of Thrones. Nope. I um, won't do it. You can't make me. I don't care how many emails you send. Opening scenes of the games are tough to watch. And not just because of the violent camera, but because of the violence on the camera. It's rough watching these kids hack away at another kids and it yeah. um well even before that the countdown the countdown is tough um, yes and the silence that that ensues with the start of the games yeah the director did a really good job of of of, of uh taking away putting, putting us yeah doing that muted tone putting us in a vacuum yeah um and over over uh what's it called um over washing our senses because it's super bright and they whitewash your eyes and that yeah. sound of course that sound is cranking up in your ears oh it made my dog uh, uncomfortable uh, i almost <laughs> i almost wanted to capture that but i didn't want to piss you guys off yeah well and you know I, I tried to get my wife to watch this movie with me you know it seems like everybody else's wife has, has seen it and i thought maybe yeah. she would watch it but yeah, sarah but, watched it with me Saturday but she, she refuses because she doesn't want to see kids killing kids. Right. And I thought, okay, this is the second time I'm seeing it. I'm going to try to see how bad this opening scene is. And I honestly can say I'm not going to have Kimberly watch this. Yeah. This film. It's, it is hard to watch. It's pretty rough. And, and these kids are young. Some of them that are getting slaughtered are are just young. And you know, I've seen another, you know, they compare this movie to a Japanese movie called uh, Battle Royale, or I think it's, yeah, Battle Royale, mm -hmm. where they have kids versus kids, um, grade school kids, but it's campy-ish, so some of the deaths you're kind of like, it's fun to watch, which is kind of scary to say, mm -hmm. whereas it's this is... over the top. Yeah, this one is every single one, you, you kind of grimace. Yeah. You know, when they're breaking necks and, and slashing and... And just cutting these poor little ones up yeah. is and, just hard to and, watch. And the second part to me that is the most hard to watch about it is the fact that most of the kids doing the killing are enjoying it. Yeah, yeah. the the, yeah. the uh, careers. Yeah, Kato. District 1, District 2, yeah. Knife Girl. The, the, the cute Knife Girl. and They're the smiling blonde. while they're doing they're it. They're having a ball. They're like, yeah, we finally get to take that inner psychotic energy that we have and release it onto the world. Uh, it's it's pretty it's pretty horrific. Um, 
Good thing that the prize thing landed in their in her tree and it makes noise. That's not in the <laughs> yeah. book. And that pissed me off because I remember watching the theater going, holy crap, that thing makes noise. It shouldn't yeah. make noise. Now everyone yeah. within about 40-foot range goes, oh, somebody just got a prize. I'm going to go kill them <laughs> and take their prize. <laughs> yeah, I thought about that and I thought, you know, if she's hiding, all of a sudden you, you hear that thing. You're like, really? Really, guys? But she was at this point, was she hiding? Or... I the, thought the, the first time she got one, tree. she was up in a tree, right. and uh, and she was kind of resting slash hiding, and then it happened. Yeah, it was when she was. Um, it was when the careers were down on the, on the ground, and they cornered mm. her up the tree, and she okay. she had the burn on her leg because she was gotten too far away from the rest of the group, and they decided to set fire to Hickory to get it to the to the Yadkin Valley to get it <laughs> to get her closer to the rest of the group, um, and. <laughs> Which was a beautiful blend of CGI and, and real real right. effects. Obviously the fire, forest fire was pretty intense. Yeah, and obviously it wasn't a real forest fire. They didn't actually set yeah. fire to the Yadkin Valley, or we would have some pretty major issues. Yeah, um, but uh, it was a pretty pretty scary scene, and to me it seemed kind of. I mean, at the whole point of the sh- of the of the Hunger Games, not the whole point, but ninety percent of the point is to give the people of District One a good show of the capital a good show. Yeah. Because a good show means good ratings and good and good ratings mean happy people. Then it seems like a pretty horrific way to kill her. It just it seems like you wouldn't want the oh the fire. Yeah, you don't want. Well, the, I don't think they were they weren't trying to kill her with the fire. They were just trying to to move her to a different. Well, area. the guy, but the guy who's that with the that ugly dude is in the control room. Goes okay, fire in three, two, one, and boom, and he goes all right. Let me get another one, and I'm going to aim it right at her. I mean, they were trying to hit her in the face with fireballs. Yeah, yeah. So, to me, I mean, obviously, I, he says I didn't take it as as they were purposely trying to kill her. I just got it as they were moving her back towards the other people. Right, and they were. They well, said that they need to drive her back, but I think they're yeah. probably better. But I also think we're thinking about that in terms of the book because you know, it hadn't, hadn't, having read the book, it does. You know, you know, she doesn't know that these things are going on. She just knows that all of a sudden there's a fire and she has to run away. Right, and uh, I don't think you know it really talked about fireballs flying at her. Uh, I don't remember, and, but I remember just remembering the movie thinking it, it looks like that they're trying to kill her. Yeah. And that seemed kind of well, anti. Well, yeah, there were the, the two flaming fireballs. Right, right towards her face. Yeah. 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 So, we're pretty close. so my next funny thing is that she gets stuck up the tree because the careers find her and they shoot a couple arrows at her and the, and, and Cato tries to climb and he can't because he's too heavy and he falls down the tree and no one can get up to where he is. So Peter says, let's just wait her out. So the, the, my inner voice is saying, well, it's a good thing. None of them said, Hey, let's burn the tree. Uh, yeah. <laughs> let's just or chop it down. Or, well, let's just know. pretend that those, those swords that they have aren't strong enough to take down that significantly large tree. Yeah. You had access to fire and you didn't care who saw it because you're the largest pack. No one's attacking you. So just set the damn tree on fire. Tree on fire, yeah. But, and they had they had axes and all sorts of other things too. Yeah, and they, had so, ex- they had explosives. They had explosives. Yeah, just, well, and the, they had knife they girl with incredible snot out of that tree. Yeah, I was like, they had knife girl with incredible aim. She really could have taken a shot at Katniss. Yeah, but yeah, or you know, you're shooting an arrow up. It's what is it going to do? Fall back down to you if it if it misses. Well, you know, keep shooting. Keep shooting the darn arrows. Well, I mean, if you're straight underneath it, then you're doing. Was that Arrow Roulette that they play in? Um, um, what's that movie with Adam Sandler where they all go? Not Big Daddy. What's the movie? You know what I'm talking about? Grown Ups. Yeah, Grown Ups, where they do the grown arrow up. and they shoot it straight in the air. Anyway, 
Um, no, my issue was, well, well but, you know, obviously we're glad that they didn't. And then Katniss does something that is one of the most horrific things I've ever seen on TV. <laughs> she drops a nest of these tracker jackers, basically giant wasps, hornets, yeah. hornets onto these sleeping people. One of which is her boyfriend, her supposed boyfriend, supposed boyfriend Peta, and they yeah. all get effed up. And one girl gets stung alive, and she looks like, um, you know what she looked like? She looked like that that troll in the the uh, Return of the King. You know what I'm talking about the troll yeah. with the jacked up hand. That's what she yeah. looked oh. like at the end. Yeah, that was bad. Oh my god! But but you talk about intent. I mean, they again with the limited budget they had. Man, those things looked looked crazy. Yeah. Those bugs. Those, oh. Yeah. Those things give me nightmares just thinking about it. Um, so I, I literally wrote that. Worst way to die ever, Tracker Jackers. And then. No, no. Merman. <laughs> merman. <laughs> Never the Merman. So so this, was really? this, is, this is her first real kill, though, right? Well, Sarah and I actually talked about that. Just because she dropped it down there doesn't mean that the intent was to kill anyone. So we're going on the assumption that she hasn't killed anyone yet. The bees kill the girl. It's not Katniss created. She could have just been trying to scare them off. Right. For all, for all we know, the, the intention was to get them to leave, which it works for six of the seven. Oh, um, (laughs) and the seventh (laughs) one just won't leave. Yeah. Yeah. Right. She's Uh, a buzzkill. Why did I write big bang? Oh, uh, Big Bang. Yeah. So Ready a cannon. Yeah, no, not just that. No, I'm at the um the bit where they stocked stocked all their food up together. Yes. That was a huge ass explosion. I think probably about five million of their eighty million went to that uh that explosion because good God. Either that or somebody was having a heck of a lot of fun with dynamite. I'm surprised we didn't hear that explosion when they filmed it. Good gracious. <laughs> um so I, I didn't wrote. I'm not ashamed to admit that I cried when Rue dies. It was a very sweet moment, and and Rue, you really like the character. And when she dies, and then Katniss decides, you know what? I don't care what the what the capital does. I don't care. I'm gonna put flowers around her, and I'm gonna be sweet to this girl who showed me love and took care of my bandages when I had the tracker jacker stings. And and then she looks at she she finds a camera somehow, and she does the salute. And her town, her that girl's district goes ape shit, and yes. and I get emotional over that because because at this point I think this is when the movie starts to, to and the the society finally starts to say you know what we're sick of sending our kids to die, yeah. and they and start this to is, fight back. This is also I think the point when when the story and the movie really starts becoming something more than the games, right? Yeah, you yeah. know, you what get I mean? a grander scope that is just it's more than just. Katniss yep. trying to survive. Yeah, because a lot of these types of movies, there's this game element or or escape. You know, they're trying to escape the government, but there's nothing ever really after that. You know, right. it, it, it same old, same old. They just the hero escapes. Right. This yeah, one, the is, born identity. He's just trying to escape, but you can't defeat the government in the born identity. Yeah. But in this case, some something's about to go down. Yeah. Um, and by the way, am I? Am I hard-hearted to say that Rue's death didn't affect me that much? Well, we'd already seen a bunch of bunch of kids die. Yeah, I just I I don't know if I just didn't connect as much of a character to her. There was, I mean, she was there certainly helping, and of course, the, her being a very small child, you know, was the, disturbing. But it wasn't a 
riot in the streets feeling. The that. two the two moments of that and that series of scenes that gets me personally, I can't speak obviously for the three of you, is the first scene where um the the moment where she's trapped in that net and she is terrified and she's screaming for her friend and she's screaming and she's terrified and that's and that's how she dies. She dies by getting a spear in the gut while she's trapped in that net and that would be that would be horrific. Obviously, dying is a, is a pretty horrific thing. Wait, that, wait, wait! Didn't she get a spear after she was out of the net? Well, yeah, she got free, she was freed from the net. Okay, well, fine, but you still have that moment of that when she's screaming for Katniss, and she finally gets her free from the net. But then the guy shows up and then throws yeah. a spear and misses Katniss and hits Rue. Um, and and Katniss has this overwhelming guilt that that spear was intended for her. Yeah, and that if she would not have moved out of the way, Rue would still be alive. Yeah. Or Rupert and I, I think I, I, I now know why it didn't hit me as much. Because when I saw the injury, I was like, oh, that's not going to kill her. Right. <laughs> no, really. I mean, Sorry, I, don't, it, I don't mean to laugh. It's but just I, a flesh wound. Right. It looked like the thing maybe went in an inch or two. Yeah. And it was in that sternum solar plexus area. But again, because she's an 11-year-old kid, you know. Yeah, but, you know, I would think it'd have to be at least two or three inches higher to get to the heart. Well, whatever. I just, I don't know. She Neither, died way too quick are... for, for a flesh wound. Yeah, I just, uh, the most important, the most part of me of where that was impactful was the moment when she looks at the camera, does the salute, and the crowd goes nuts. That, yeah. to me, was the most, the biggest moment. Now, I will say I did get emotional when the crowd started reacting. Then I was like, right. I, I you know, these people care about their kids that they're sending them in. Yeah. You know. Right. Um, so I'm going to kind of skip through a little bit. I'm going to be quick here. Real bad CGI dogs. Those were real oh, bad. Lord. Painfully yeah. bad. Um, I'm really glad that they upped the, the, uh, the budget, the next film. Um, and then I wrote, Oh wait, that's not the worst way to die. Oh no. Oh, no. I said, Oh wait, the worst way to die. Mutant dogs eating you <laughs> um, to the point that, uh, she pulls a Malcolm Reynolds and she kills the guy so that he doesn't get eaten by the dogs like he does. Yeah. And Serenity kills the guy from getting eaten by the yeah. Reavers. Or um, the last of the Mohicans where he shoots the guy getting burned to death. Right. Reavers. Uh, Reavers. So, uh, and then my last note was, so it's Romeo and Juliet, sort of. <laughs> yeah. But they're faking it. <laughs> it's Romeo and Juliet to an audience. And then once they're behind the, the stage, then it's like, okay, whatever. Right. Exactly. Uh, so tropes, I wrote all Mike's great feedback, which I did. And then the governments are so, Oh, the governments can kill people if they don't approve of them. So the game maker, the head game maker makes the fatal flaw of allowing PETA and Katniss to live. Yeah. And the government just says time for you to die. Or basically, you know, I took that he, he gave them the power, enough power over the game maker to Mm -hmm. live. Oh yeah, yeah, like that. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Snow has a I mean, Snow has a point. Snow's validation in his own mind is that, and he told him, he said, "You need to be careful with this." And so then, when he changes that rule, and says two people from the same district can live, yeah. you know that the point, the purpose of that obviously is to force Katniss and Pia together so that we can see this budding romance on TV because it's more compelling. But then when they survive. He says, oh, no, only one of you can live. He was expecting one of them to turn and kill the other. And when instead they said, okay, well, we'll just kill ourselves because we're not going to go down the way you say it. 
It is. Yeah. We're going to thumb our nose at you in this way. And then he was afraid that if they actually killed themselves, that the Capitol would riot, that he let these two young lovers kill themselves and end up killing himself. Um, yeah. So trivia. So that's the most, basically the, that's the movie. Uh, that's the movie. Yeah. That's and, the movie. And now we're an hour in, but uh, okay. Oh so, my gosh. I know. I'm sorry. Trivia. Jennifer Lawrence was paid. Um, what was for her a very high fee of, of $500,000. It took her three days before she accepted the role because she was unsure how the role would clearly affect her career. Since her background was largely on the indie film circuit for the hunger games, catching fire, she was paid $10 million. <laughs> That's awesome. While horsing around on set, Jennifer Lawrence accidentally kicked Josh Hutcherson, PETA, in the head, knocking him out, resulting in a concussion. <laughs> and he was never seen or heard from again. How do you, while horsing around, kick somebody to the head? I don't know. And to cause a concussion. Yeah. All right. So for those of you who don't know Corny, and many of you don't, um, Corny has <laughs> yeah. Uh, Corny has the gift of perfect pitch, ish, and Relative. so, Corny, the yes. the four note melody that Katniss whistles. Do you know what the notes are? It, unless you looked Hold in on. the trivia, I'm, then I'm, I'm playing it back in my head. Hold on. G, B flat. Okay, you looked in the trivia. <laughs> A and. E, D, yeah. D. So you looked in the trivia. Good job. I did not look at the trivia. <laughs> Suck it. <laughs> G B flat A D. It's in the trivia. So if you didn't look, if if I if if you didn't, then that was awesome. Congratulations, Twenty. You win a point for yes. having perfect pitch. If you did look in the trivia and we find out, you will lose the next three games automatically. <laughs> not that this. Where is it in the trivia? Uh, it, it's just in the trivia. It's like the fourth or fifth one down. Director Gary Ross stated that his direction to go with his shaky cam work had a lot to do with the urgency of what was going on to reflect Katniss's point of view. Um, so we talked about that earlier. I don't want to read the whole thing again because we already talked about it. Here's one thing that I found really interesting. Oh, there it is. Sorry. <laughs> composer, composer Danny Elfman was left the film due to scheduling conflict and was placed by James Newton Howard. Now the soundtrack I actually had a good time with. It was fine. Yeah, it was. I um, like the soundtrack. It did what it was supposed to do. I don't think I'd go buy it, but no, it was a good soundtrack. But Danny Elfman. Mm. I, I just I get know. I just get excited when I hear Danny Elfman. I get I get excited about it because I love Danny Elfman. I love his work. But is this a type know. of yeah film that would work with him? When I think Danny Elfman, I automatically think. Tim Burton. Yeah, yeah. You think of Beetlejuice. Yeah. You think of The Nightmare Before Christmas. Do you think... The first Batman. The first Batman. Do you think the new Wizard of Oz movie? I haven't seen it, so I don't know. You have seen it. The, one, the, the new one? Yeah. I thought you took Kimberly to go see that. No, she never went. Oh my God, what's wrong with your life? Um, <laughs> you didn't Love see you, the, sweetie. You didn't if see the new listening. one with, J with James Franco? No, no, we haven't seen Chad, it. Chad, have you seen it? I've not seen it. No. Oh my gosh! Okay, uh, corny. Nope. Well, James. Well, freaking Danny Elfman does the music <laughs> in that, and it's awesome. And it's not. Did you guys see the Alice in Wonderland? Yes. Yes. Nope. That's that's Danny Elfman. Yeah. It's also um, Tim Burton. It's a Tim Burton film, though. Um, but the new Wizard of Oz movie is a Sam Raimi film, and it's just dripping with Sam Raimi 
It's, it's awesome. He's just all over the place. Anyway. That sounds disgusting. I like Danny Elfman, and I think he would have been great in this film. It would have given the film kind of an uneasy feeling to it, I think. I think you're right. Um, and I would have been totally okay with that. And I still contest to this day that the first Harry Potter films would have been so freaking awesome had Danny had Tim Burton directed them. Just saying. Oh, God, yes. That would have been so awesome. So, yeah, soundtrack I thought was pretty good. Obviously, uh, next note, Star Trek Connection was Paula Malcolmson. She was the Katniss's mom. Um, so, yeah. So, that's that's our cast. That's that's the Hunger Games. Yay. Um, Yay. So, we're going to do the, the we thing. We all survived. We all survived. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, barely. Um, the odds were in our favor. Yay. Uh, so and this- I painted myself to look like a microphone. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, that that was uh, that, sorry, can't believe that his yeah his how did he, decorating how did he paint, techniques yeah how did well, he paint the parts he couldn't see yeah, yeah. I, I like yeah, he, on his face on his face and he's and his excuse was mom and dad let me paint the cakes at home did you paint them to look like rocks and, <laughs> and trees bark. and bark generally when you're painting cakes it says happy birthday dad <laughs> I mean and there were no happy birthdays like, in uh, District Twelve yeah, yeah, what kind of cakes are they what kind of Cakes and birthday cakes are they making during the Great Depression? Right. I mean, it's so, so. What was worse, the dogs or the decorating? Well, the dogs the decorating. were no the dogs were, were were atrocious because of because of how bad. What took, the, you, what took you out of the movie more? The, the dogs, dogs. Were decorating. Yeah, the, the dogs to me was was painful. <laughs> Molly agrees. Really? Did you make her bark? <laughs> No, I didn't actually. <laughs> That's hilarious. This movie has been absolutely full of coincidences. I know. This is this is weird what's happening right now. Um. Anyway, so at this point of the show, uh, so you know, yeah, the dogs definitely for me. The dogs, the painting, because because he, he let's let's say he takes out you take out that line. Wow, Peter, that's really good. Thanks. <laughs> I took art in school. I mean, I don't know. I just. I mean, they went to school. I mean, they had school. Um. I don't know. Somebody came by and painted this on my face. <laughs> they told me they'd be back for me. Yeah, I think maybe they could have done that bit better when she found him in the in the in the woods or the, the by the river. They could have, probably could have done that better than having his face look like a rock because that yeah. looks damn good. Um, mm-hmm. Clearly, a professional team of of six people were there doing that. Anyway, so this is part of the episode where we do the best out of ten, <laughs> and I actually wrote stuff down this time. Ooh. Oh, but if you think yours is funnier, by all means. So, Chad, how many exploding apples out of ten would you give this film? Mm, exploding apples—that sounds lovely. I think I'm going to give it—I'm um, going to give it a, a solid seven. All I right. think that that's uh, yeah. pretty on par with my with the uh, other how I feel about the other films that we that we've talked about here. Right. Uh, Which you can find our list on yeah yeah cheapseatreviews dot com. Uh, Sam has, has has is keeping track of our of shameless our stores, shameless is, plug. Hey, <laughs> we have no shame. This is our podcast, and yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, we got a anyway. Um, corny. So you said seven. So yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, corny. How many uh, tracker jacker nests would you give out of ten? <laughs> I'll give it. Uh, I'd give it an eight. Uh, uh, stung to death by said tracker deckers at a time. Eight, so that's nice. Eight that's a, stings. That's a good. That's a good high score. Uh, good. Uh, so, uh, and Sam, how many drunken hamiches would you give this film? <laughs> drunken hamiches. I'd probably give it seven and a half. Drunken hamiches. Right. I, I thought it was a pretty solid film, and I would watch it again. That's 
you know, anything over five, I consider rewatchable. So sure. Yeah. Um, I would push, I, I want to say seven and a half, but the, but the bad CGI, cause that I mean, yeah. here's my issue. And, and I've talked about this before, and I'm going to talk about it probably multiple times before this podcast ends. I, I think of movies in um, these pivotal moments in movie cinema history, where you, especially special effects. 1977 Star Wars comes out. Nothing came close to looking like that. Nothing. I mean, 2001 A Space Odyssey in 1968 looked pretty good. But what the, he did in 77 was incredible. And everything around that film from like 68 – from 2001 Space Odyssey up to about 87, 88 looked like ass compared to what Star Wars did. <laughs> and then we, seriously, yeah. and then yeah. we have the next big break to me in my vision is, in my mind, is 1993's Jurassic Park. Yeah. yeah. That movie came out and people shot themselves because how real those dinosaurs looked. And and what we could do. and what we could do with the computer. That's because of incontinence. Yeah. Um, so... <laughs> So when you look at movies, you look back at movies now and go, oh, my God, Total Recall came out in 1992. That movie looks terrible compared to what Jurassic Park came out. Yeah. It looks, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. then we, and then we, now we fast forward again to my, to me, the next big step was in 1999 with the Matrix. Then the oh, Matrix comes yeah. out and you go, wow, that looks great. Then to me, in my point of view, the next big step was Avatar in 2000. And yeah. I was wondering if you're going to put 2009. That yeah, incomplete realism is, right. is unbelievable. And so you look at that movie. Was it, was it 2009 or 2010? I can't remember. Anyway, uh, yeah. and I understand. I was still teaching, so. And, and don't yell at me. Go, wait a minute now. Avatar was a $300 million film. I get that. That's not yeah. the point I'm arguing. And all these other films I mentioned are big budget films except for Star Wars. But my, my point yeah. being is that. <laughs> let's. By the way, let's just be happy. That uh, they didn't use uh, uh, the, the book, book uh, the yeah. book idea of the faces of the dead people yeah. on the dogs, yeah, or the eyes. They use their eyes. I don't know if they yeah, use yeah. their faces, but I know it was their eyes. Um, but my point being is this: this came out in 2012, so we're we're two at least two years past Avatar. That doesn't mean that this is supposed to look better than Avatar, but in my mind, this movie should look. Almost as good as Avatar, in my mind. Like the bar had to like they, it needs to come up to at least the bar. Yeah. Or yeah. Well, and, and here's maybe, my thing. Sean. Maybe not. But maybe, Why not? They've been so clever with camera angles, techniques, things like that. They didn't have to show the dogs in their entirety. You know, yeah. put them in the shadows. Put them. Put them behind, lurking. Yeah. Scaring these people towards the cornucopia. Yeah, and that's the, all they were there to do is is to force those the final three to the center. Yeah. They don't have to be chasing them down the wood path or you know the path in the woods. To yeah, it. Do, uh, to be me, smart about it. Yeah, to me, I would have been actually better with like the point of view kind of camera angle thing, like the Evil Dead does, where it's chasing them through the woods, yes. and that's terrifying because all you hear is this snarling. Maybe show a quick glimpse of teeth and eyes and and feet running. Yeah, you can I mean, be, I think you can make it terrifying for the audience because it's it in their imagination, right? And my other issue isn't just the dogs; it's the the, the bad CGI fire scene when they're rolling in on those chariots, and the <laughs> background looks terrible. That background is terrible, and it that brought me out of the movie because yeah. it was so bad. And all I could think of is this looks bad compared to 1993's Jurassic Park. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's my issue with the film is, is that just because we have the computer technology to do a thing, if you're going to do it, then do it well. Because that looked like, I mean, it looked like ass. Yeah. 2000, Serenity came out in 2005. Serenity only had a budget of about $68 million. Serenity is better than this movie. Now, you don't have creepy. Visually. Visually. Uh, I oh, think it's actually, are... I think it's a better film. But I'm biased. Very biased on that film. But I think it's a better film. But that's not I what I'm, what I'm describing. Yeah. But I think it looks better. And the CGI, I think, is better. And it's it's six years old. Seven years older than this film. So that's my issue. Anyway, send your hate mail. I don't care. Um, <laughs> with that being said, I would probably give it a a solid seven. I would give it a seven point. I would even give it an eight if it had better CGI. If yeah. they had the CGI that they had in Catching Fire, this is an eight. Truly, Definitely. that's oh, how yeah. much these that that because that that affects my viewing as an audience. That affects my viewing experience. If your movie looks like shit, I mean, I'm sorry. And I love this movie and and all that. By it, the way, can we all agree this is one of those strange trilogies where the second movie is actually better than the first? Yeah. Yeah, that's a weird. I don't know. I liked, to be honest, I liked uh, Empire Strikes Back over the over A New Hope. I do too. So it's not. Uh, well, that's I, what I meant. The, the second movie is better than the right. First. But you're right. That's the very. That's not a thing that happens very often. Jurassic Park is way better than Lost World. Yes. Um, yes. Oh. The Matrix is better than either one of the other two things. Yeah. So. And I'm sure there are yeah. way more examples I can think of. Back to the Future is better than Back to the Future Two. Though I still think. I actually think the two towers is better than the fellowship. Yeah, the well, it progressively gets on. it progressively gets better and better. Yeah. But I think the Hobbit one is better than the Hobbit two. Yes. So, yes. Anyway, uh, there's way more examples <laughs> that we can talk about. And I don't want to. Yeah. Um, so I did ask the guys. We always do this. Our top three movies, and we kind of pick it off the theme of this movie, and we went with dystopian future type movies. Um, Dystopian future. Google it if you don't know what that means. So, so Chad, have you have you gathered your three movies? I have, and um, if I can, I'm going to actually go off uh, off script a little bit and go to. Um, uh, these are actually books that were made into movies. That's fine. Doesn't matter. But because uh, yeah. I actually read the books, um, haven't really seen the movies, but uh, I liked the books, so I'm going with that, and uh, that's what I'm. That's how, that's what I'm going to do. So uh, my number Watch one. the way the cookie crumbles. Um, number one would be Fahrenheit 451. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Good choice. Definitely. Uh, number two, uh, 1984. Yeah, I that's where you're going with this. You know, I'm I I that's on my book of shame. By the way, that's a good book. I haven't read well, that one. Yeah. Big Brother's watching you. It is. And uh, I actually had a tie for number three. And like I said, I actually haven't read either of these books, but I have seen the movies of uh, Total Recall and uh, A Clockwork Orange. Yeah. I didn't even think of Clockwork. Yeah, those are all very, very good ones. Uh, Corny. All right. I'm going to go with uh, V for Vendetta. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Nice. RoboCop is my number two. Yep. Okay. And... I know, Sean, you're going to love this. Serenity is my number there three. There you go. <laughs> nice. I I yeah. approve of this list. Sam? Yeah, my, my criteria, I know we talked about it earlier, was basically um, film set in a, a dystopian future that have some semblance of government. Yeah. That was kind of my dystopian future. 
So um, kind of my number three on my list, uh, honorable mention slash tied, uh, of course, Total Recall, the Arnold Schwarzenegger Total Recall, by sure. the way. Yeah, the, the second that, uh, one is, is, is that that garbage. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. terrible, but it's fun to watch. And I put Catching Fire with it up there just because mm-hmm. uh, that's a pretty amazing film in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my number two is Gattaca. Okay. I like have, that Have you guys movie. ever seen Gattaca? Mm-hmm. I've never I seen like it, it, but I've heard of it. Yeah, it's been a long time, and it just popped up on Netflix, by the way. It's a, it's a good film, really good film. And my number one, of course, I'm with Corny. Give me Serenity. Oh, nice. yeah. I'm nice. a leaf on the wind. <laughs> Brown Watch coat me tonight. Brown coat. I aim to misbehave. I aim to misbehave. Well, well, that's awesome. Uh, I actually wrote down six. Ooh, can, oh, I, can, I get, can I guess some? Uh, okay. No, oh, no, no, you can't guess some because you're looking at my script. I'm not looking at your script. Are you, okay, then, then guess. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess. I know that Serenity's on there. It is. It's probably um, number one. I'm guessing. It's I'm actually not. Water- it's not. No, it's not. It's okay. not. I'm gonna throw Waterworld on there. That would consider that post-apocalyptic. Yeah, that, that because would be because the Earth has been destroyed by water, so it's not considered dystopian. It's post-apocalyptic. So well, if, then I don't want to play this game no more. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can keep playing, but... No, nope, I mean, I'm done. Okay. Yeah, like we talked well, before, any kind of zombie film would be post-apocalyptic. Book yeah. of Eli, Water which is World one of... world isn't zombie-ish. No, no, that's not the point. No, but there's no government. Yeah, there's there's no central body of... What I consider... Dyst- I am going to, to, to define it. Dystopian to me, and what the definition literally means is anti-utopia, meaning it's, it's, it's the recent near to even the far distant future, but... Mm-hmm. Something has changed, whether it's organically, whether it's uh, society, whether it's governmentally, whatever, has changed for the worse. And things are are terrible because of whatever that change is. Waterworld is post-apocalyptic, meaning most of the population of the Earth is dead because of this cataclysmic water event. Um, Other movies like like Book of Eli is post-apocalyptic because the Earth has been destroyed by nukes. And people are just trying to survive. Mad Max is post-apocalyptic. Make sense? Good. Um, <laughs> but yes, Serenity is on my list, but it's in my honorable mention. And it's my, one of my favorite movies. But I don't think of it as dystopian future. I think of it as space cowboys. Yeah. Um, so that's why I didn't put it in my top one. V for Vendetta is also in my honorable mention, as well as Elysium. Yeah, see, that's uh, one I want to see, but I haven't seen it. Yet. I've seen it. It's the prequel to Wally. It's really good. Um, <laughs> so, top three dystopian future movies that are just good to watch and they're just good time. Two of these movies are not good films at all, but they're just really fun. Number three, Dread. The one that just came <laughs> yeah, out. Well, you forgot about that. Not Judge Dread, that really terrible just... Schwarzenegger film, but the one that came out with Carl Urban called Dread is a good yeah. time. It is a you good time. Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, I'm sorry. You're right. Right. I'm not Schwarzenegger. Sylvester Stallone. Say, I, uh... Yeah. The new one that came out is fun, is violent. It is, um, I don't know how else to describe it. It's just a good time. I think, no, no. Anyway, number two would be RoboCop. Good job, Corny. And number one, my number one would have to be Blade Runner. Okay. So, I 1982. That's one of those other movies to me that when it came out, it kind of when you I went back, I hadn't seen Blade Runner. I saw it for the first time about 3 years ago on Blu-ray. My dad let me borrow. And I watched it thinking to myself, this movie could have been filmed in 1992. 
it looked that good to me. Uh, Tony Scott did a really, really Tony Scott, Ridley Scott. Shoot, I can't remember which one. Whoever directed it did a Ray really Scott really, did a really great job on it because it looks as good as what Star Wars did in '77, or even or the the Jedi movie in '83, Return of the Jedi. It looks that good, and it's a crazy world where androids are doing stuff. Anyway, those are my six movies, and there you go. So we're now at. Whatever. We're at an hour and, a, hour and 20 minutes now at this point, and this podcast seems to get longer and longer each week. Yeah. Um, we, do, we, we do this, uh, what are we watching? Well, um, Chad said he had a bunch of films that he watched, and I watched a bunch of films. And um, Chad, just go down your list real quick. What would you watch? Uh, what's your list? Uh, Doctor Strange Love. Uh, it was oh, one of my yeah. guilty uh, – I got that off of my uh, list, oh, wow. list of shame. And uh, Into Darkness, Ooh, okay. finally, because some people went and watched Let it. Let it go, Chad. Let it go. <laughs> and uh, the, go, how much might I think? Let it go. So, yeah. that's, oh, that's my list. Real quick, by the way, just, just in case, because we missed it, uh, this movie did have a... Uh... <laughs> it did have a training montage. Um, Sam, what are you watching? Um, goodness gracious! I've seen Frozen seven times in the past two weeks. Cool, Corey. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to rush this along because I want to talk about something else. Okay, uh, I've been watching a lot of comedy uh, things, but especially in season. Sorry, uh, it's the Dangerous Delicious, Dangerously Delicious special on uh, Netflix. Okay, I don't even know what that is, but it sounds yummy. Um, killer cupcakes. I watched. I watched Frozen. I watched The Amazing Spider-Man. I watched The Avengers. All on Saturday. It was awesome. Uh, and Pitch Perfect. It was great. But all four of us watched the Aquifer. How I Met Your Mother season series finale. If you don't want to know what happens, stop now. Seriously. We're going to yeah, spoil we'll the we'll see you next week. We'll see stop you next now. week. Cheapseatreviews.com. Cheap, at G- Gmail. Seriously. But if you, want to, if you want to know or already know and you want to commiserate with us, now is the next. Uh, we're going to take seven minutes to do this. I am pissed <laughs> off at that season, at that series finale. It did a disservice to Barney because they turned him back into the biggest douchebag ever. I don't care what the baby did at the end of the episode and made him realize the errors of his ways. He's a freaking ice hole because he banged some 31 girls in a row, got the last one pregnant, and only calls her 31. They ruined his character, in my opinion. They took this last season and they just said, all the character development that we've taken of Barney over the last um, season, we're going to piss it away in this one episode. That really pissed me off. I know the mom was going to die. We yeah. all kind of saw it coming. They filmed the scene with the kids nine years ago, clearly. They did that nine years ago. I get the point that he needs to end with Robin because the writers even said that they made a mistake in that opening scene, in that opening episode where they, this is how I met your Aunt Robin. I'm fine with that. But give us a moment to be sad that the mom dies because we never care. She dies yeah. and we don't care. I know it's a sitcom and it's supposed to be funny, but not only was it not funny, but it wasn't sad. I didn't and care. It was cruel. It was just – it was so quick and flippant that it didn't give me an opportunity as the audience member to grieve with Ted, who we grieved with before. And we yeah. grieved with other characters. When Marshall's dad died, that was a powerful episode, and we all four of us cried. I don't care. Oh, yeah. We cried. 
I still yeah. cry on that episode. That is a powerful episode, and that's okay. Yeah. Give us that moment. But they robbed us of that moment to make it go, oh, it's okay, Dad. We think you should be with Aunt Robin, even though we haven't. Clearly, we haven't seen her in forever because she's out traveling the world. And when I was a kid, I called her Bus Lady. These kids don't have a relationship with her, and now they're okay with Dad Goes and Married Her's because their mom has been dead six years. They need to change the name of the show from How I Met Your Mother to How I Met Your Future Stepmother because that's what the show is about. And it kind of pissed me off. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> All right, and our seven minutes are up, folks. <laughs> yeah, see you next I, week. I, I know. I'm sorry. I took up the whole. Month, but if you guys want to have, if you have anything else that you want to add, please take. take well, it. my my feeling on the on on this show is, you know, looking at how I met your mother. There's been nine seasons. Throughout that nine seasons, there's been a lot of laughs. A lot of laughs. You know, seventy five percent laughs. But there has been twenty five percent some pretty darn sad stories. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got from, you know, uh, Rob, I mean, I remember Robin finding out she couldn't have kids. Yep, that was sad. And that was a sad episode. Mm-hmm. And the whole Lily going away to San Francisco was, was a sad. Um, and, and of course, the father dying being very, very sad. And then I remember one episode with, with Ted almost giving up on trying to find love. And remember how sad that was. And so you've got all this. and But it's always always been intermixed with funny, you know, with, with lighthearted moments, with, with moments between friends. And I kind of get what they were trying to do with this last episode. You know, it was all about the big moments and making sure that everybody was together during the big moments. You know, you look at it in all reality, Barney and Robin weren't going to, to work. They just weren't. Um, I always thought that that relationship was kind of forced anyway, but I'm kind of with you, Sean, a little bit on the Barney character. I think I, I think it was a little cheap to have him revert so quickly into the old Barney. I thought he grew up a little bit more th- as a character through, you know, season oh. seven through nine. Um, in, the, in their defense, I mean, time did a lot. I mean, there was the time elapsed. Yeah, but I don't but, think that they. But, I don't think that they really did a good, a good this, enough job to to state. Well, that they even though they stated it, but to show time elapsing and him reverting back into that they just kind of like and well and you couldn't because you were running out of time my issue yeah, was and, this and that well and and what, what happened was you've got nine seasons and it's been a slow burn to find out who the mother is and a really slow burn and all of a sudden we went to nitroglycerin in this episode um the mother dies mm-hmm. there's a divorce um there's another kid there's Ted is, um, you know, I didn't like the gut punch at the end. And that's what it felt like to me. All along, we've had this happy-go-lucky friends growing up together. And, you know, with growing, there are some hard times. You know, we all know for a fact that once you have kids, you know, you start distancing yourself a little bit from your friends because you can't spend as much time with them. Right. That's why you create a podcast for an excuse to hang out once a week. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, this is our poker night, basically. And um, we understand that, but you still remain friends. And uh, all of a sudden, especially with the mother, you find out her name and then she's dead. And I don't know about you guys, but I kind of started liking the mother in this final season and really wanted to get to know her. And, no offense, I wanted a darn happy ending. And the Robin 
Ted ending is not a happy ending. It's not a happy ending because we've already seen this ending and we know it doesn't work. Yeah, and and the- and, and Ted talking to his kids. And, and you mentioned, you know, this should have been a how I met your your stepmother. Yeah. You yeah. know, those kids at that age, it's been six six years since their mother died. I would think I don't know. I don't think they would be over the issues yet. And I just think it was really cheap to all of a sudden have Ted, instead of talking about this, this search for a great love, all of a sudden go to, well, you know, is it okay if I date Robin? Right. I, I just, I think. And that he picks up a landline. Come on, really? <laughs> all right. Anyway. At least it was cordless. Yeah. So anyway, I just, <laughs> the Barney thing, the last thing I'm going to say in the Barney thing, and then if anybody else has anything they want to add, please. But instead of having him go back to the whoremongering ass hat that he was, then just have him go, then have him meet someone legitimate. Yeah. And then have the kid. And like give her back, a name. Yeah. Bring you know, back Quinn. I like the Quinn character. Yeah. Or or anyone in his past that maybe he decides to get back with that he legitimately actually liked. Maybe like not the one Quinn, girl but, from like season five or uh, it yeah. doesn't, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. Just don't make it some some random skank. Number thirty one. Number thirty one yeah. to make him seem like he's just this this douche. They made him turn. They turn him into, and then the, even the, re, the the retribution, not the retribution, the redemption with the child wasn't enough for me. Because then, then we don't know is is he the father of this kid full time? Is are they married? Like what happened? So yeah. anyway, um, anybody else want to add anything about that? I mean, if we want to put it on a, on a scale of one to ten, it's a three to me. Yeah, yeah, three or three and a half, four out of ten as a finale. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Love show, this, the this show, final season picked up its pace. Yeah, it, it was doing great. I thought the writing was superb yeah. until this. Episode. There were great closures of things, re- yeah. recurring gags that we saw. Right. And, you know, finally the last slap was a good one. It, yeah, you know, it, was it wasn't hilarious. a painful slap. You know, things of that nature. I I, I agree with you, Sean. Maybe not as harshly, uh, oh. <laughs> but I was I was very upset. The whole like it just seemed like it was a joke, and I expected um, Ted to go, "Okay, guys." That last part didn't happen in terms of like Barney and Robin breaking up and all the other stuff. It just, it yeah. was so quick and so disjointed in how it happened. It was, yeah, we got a divorce. Yeah. But we're okay. And, and, and part of it is expectations. And maybe there was no way that this ending could have lived up to expectations. But Corny and I watched one of our favorite shows in last week in Psych. And that show's season series finale was perfect. And it lived up to expectations. I, I guarantee you there can be a, a, a cut out there made of about 30 minutes, maybe even less than that, of this final episode that, that will be our happy ending. Yeah. You know, when he finally meets her under the umbrella and says, hi, I'm Ted, or, you know, whatever, the funny little thing, cut to black. Yeah. That's all you needed that to do. Yeah. Yes. All I you needed to that. do. And, yeah. I, and I, take I, out the Barney bit. Take out the Barney bit. Take out Barney Make, you know, let Lily Marshall be happy. He becomes yep. Fudge Supreme. Take out the <laughs> Barney bit and then have yeah. him, and that's kids, How I Met Your Mother, and go, thanks, Dad. Yeah. Fade now, to black. Can we go? Bum, or they, bum, or they, or they go, bum, that's it? That's, that's it? That's okay, just it? Yeah, yeah, now, yeah, Dad, now can we go get ice cream or something? Yeah. Are you done now? Yeah. 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 So, uh, why could hmm. – Yeah. So, in fact, I think the gag would have been just as funny had they brought the kids back now, and they're like – it took you nine years to tell that story, Dad. Oh, my God. <laughs> anyway, so we are now stupid long in this podcast. And if yes. you're still with us, uh, we very much appreciate it. Um, 
What are we doing next week, real quick, real quick honey girl? We are going to, as a fan request, we're going to view Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. Ooh, definitely right. not safe for work, so I'll be watching that at home. Yes. Special thanks yes. goes out to Sight and Sound AV, uh, NC.com, Steve Everett for our intro and outro music. Leave us a review on iTunes and Stitcher. You can actually find links to them on our face on our webpage, which is cheapseatreviews.com. Under like construction. On, under construction constantly. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash cheapseatreviews. Follow us on Twitter at cheapseatcast. Uh, and always send your emails to cheapseatreviews at gmail.com. Uh, on behalf of Chad, Sam, Corny, myself saying thank you for listening to two hours of a podcast. We're very sorry. And don't get uh, eliminated. No. And don't. Um, and may the odds, may the odds, odds be, be forever in and, and remember. Happy Hunger Games, Cheap Seat Reviews. And may the odds be ever in your favor.